a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about uh, this idea of being tested, uh, having faith in the struggle. Uh, I think all of us can uh, agree to the fact that uh, there are times in our life, and it may even be right now, when you feel like you're being tested. And having faith when you're in the middle of the struggle, because as we like to say, the struggle is real. And it is. Uh, but we've been looking at instances uh, in, where God's people are, are tested throughout Scripture. And, and the way that they react and the way that they deal with it, how they overcome the challenges that are, that are placed in front of them. And so what I'm really hoping throughout this series, and, and even just today, if today's, you, maybe you're new with us, and maybe today's the only time that, uh, that you end up being with us today, um, I hope that we can maybe see the purpose in tests, that we can recognize tests, because that's a big part of it, right, is to recognize the fact that maybe what I'm going through is a test, maybe it's not, but how to face those things with the power of Jesus behind us and through us. And scripture gives us plenty of examples of people who were tested. Um, it's really not too tough to flip through the pages of, of the Bible and, and find that. Anybody remember walking into class, walking into maybe high school or college, didn't happen so much to me in middle school or elementary school, but you walk into a pop quiz. Anybody like pop quizzes? I was gonna say, we're praying for you, <laughs> if that's you. Um, you know, teachers like, take out a sheet of paper, pop quiz, here we go. It stresses you out sometimes, doesn't it? Actually, most times. You're like, I'm certainly not ready for this. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point of a pop quiz. From the teacher's perspective, it's, it's a good way to see what the students actually know, where they're at, are they reviewing the material, all of those kinds of things. Um, but a quiz grade, for the most part, isn't going to destroy your average if, if you kind of blow it. Um, it's certainly not gonna help, but it could be a really good wake-up call for you terms of where you are and to help you move forward to get you refocused so that being said your turn pop quiz here we go I got some bible trivia and I want to see where we all are on this all right so just kind of keep score for yourself as we go through and I'm going to ask you about 10 questions here and we'll just see where we all are on some bible trivia for a minute right this will be fun how many brothers did Jesus have some of you are like Jesus had brothers Yeah, four. I see some fours in the air. Yes, four. The answer is four. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Uh, all right, next, because we're gonna go through these pretty quick. How old was Jesus when the wise men visited him? I want you to notice I didn't put three wise men because that's not in the Bible. It doesn't say three wise men. It just says that on your nativity set. All right, so how old were, was Jesus when they visited him? Newborn, six months, two years. All right, um, most of us are good on that. Two years old, yeah, that means all your nativity sets that you're gonna set up, they're not biblically accurate. All right, just so you know, all right? God still loves you. All right, let's keep going. There were two men who never died in the Bible. Elijah was one, who was the other? Wow, I thought that was a bit of a deep cut. Good job. Yeah, Enoch, Enoch. All right, uh, which woman is mentioned the most in Scripture? Rachel, Mary, or Sarah? Yeah, we got kind of a divided crowd here. The answer is actually Sarah. Yeah, Mary seems like the easy one, right? Actually, she's third on this list. Sarah, Rachel, and then Mary. Yeah. Uh, who was the first recorded Christian martyr? Stephen. It's Stephen. Yeah. Yep, yep. 
All right, all right. How many books are there in the Old Testament? 37, 39, or 27? I heard it. It's 39. Some of you are like, I thought it was 27. That's the New Testament. Got him. All right. What is the oldest written book of the Bible? It's Job. Yeah. You're like, but Genesis is first. Yeah, I know. But it's Job. Yeah, it was written prior to. Let's keep going. What is the shortest book of the Bible? Second John, Philemon, or Titus? So you're like, Job, it's only three letters. Right? That's, that's not what I mean. Job's really long. No, it's Second John. Second John. All right. Uh, all right, next one. The New Testament was originally written in which language? Hebrew, Latin, Greek, or King James English? Shots fired. Yeah. The answer is Greek. Yeah. It was not... Thou shalt not write it in King James English. All right, last one. Now, hold on. Anybody get, anybody, like, I haven't missed one yet? You haven't missed one yet? Okay. All right, here we go. Shh. All right, we're, I'm starting to lose you. The phrase, God never gives you more than you can handle, shows up where in the scriptures? Proverbs, Psalms, or 1 Corinthians? Yeah, nowhere. That's not in the Bible at all. Yeah, got, gotcha. Trick question. That's not in the Bible at all. God always gives us more than we can handle. That's why we're here today, gathered together, right? If we all had it all figured out, boy. You think God gives us pop quizzes? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. Today might be one for all of us. Today might be one for all of us. This is fun. But we're actually going to get into something a little bit serious here in a few minutes. And, and I would encourage you to follow along in the notes uh, on the Bible app. If you have that downloaded, um, you can certainly follow there because I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit. Um, unless you're really good at sword drills on your Bible, which good on you if you are. Um, and if you know what those are, that's a deep cut as well. Um, but follow along in the notes uh, if you would. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 13. And when we're in Deuteronomy, Old Testament, um, the... Uh, God warns the nation of Israel here um, that he is going to test them on some material that he went over with them in chapter 12, essentially. That's, that's kind of a way to look at it, talking about pagan worship and idolatry. And God, through Moses, gives them his intent for all of this, which is a test. And so in Deuteronomy 13, uh, I want to read verses 3 through 4 here, and I would encourage you at some point to read uh, verse 1 through 18 because that's, that's all of what we're looking at today, it, it, full context, but we're not going to read every verse there. Here's what it says. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. You got to remember this is like Old Testament, so Israel, right? God speaking to them, the whole thing with Moses and all of that. So much different time culturally than where we are right now. It says, the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart, with all your soul. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It is the Lord your God that you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. So in verse three there, Moses is saying, for the Lord your God is testing you. So he's saying exactly what's happening. To know whether the Lord your God is, um, and, and to love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul sounds a lot like what's known as the Shema prayer that was given in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Uh, let me show you this. 
four through six, actually. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Again, it's a familiar passage. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. So, as I mentioned, this is known as the Shema prayer, and Jesus gives us an equivalent to that in the New Testament. Found in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and we call this the great command. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus kind of completes all that's, all that's being said there. And from the giving of Deuteronomy 6 to the present day, many Jews actually recite this prayer twice a day. But it's one thing to recite a prayer. We can all recite a prayer. It's, it's quite another thing to actually live it out. And living it out is what God was getting at to these people at this time. And I believe that's what he's trying to get at to us today. Living it out is the hard part for any believer. I, I, I said it in conversation with somebody this week. I believe the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life is to be an authentic follower of Jesus. It's like, find me something harder. Find me something more difficult than to be an authentic follower of Jesus every minute of the day. There's one person who was able to be completely authentic and perfect, and that was Jesus. One. He was the only one. So what God's really getting at, though, in these tests to Israel was an issue that I want to look at today, and that's the issue of idolatry. And so this is going to be a little difficult. I'm going to be honest with you. Because you might be like, Jay, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know how this one applies to me, right? I'm not worshiping a golden calf at home. I, I get that. Yeah. See, the object of idolatry changes, but the heart of idolatry does not. And it's tricky, and it's always around us. And in the sense of worshiping false gods, absolutely, this is something that we still oppose today, no question about it. But idols have changed. The danger of idol worship today is more, I think for us in the metaphysical sense, in the metaphorical sense, you know, in, in the New Testament, in the form of, of what we're gonna call worship and the way we're gonna define the word worship in, in this sense is the total dedication of a person. What are you totally dedicated to? That is something you are worshiping. You are worshiping what you are totally dedicated to, and that is, for us, what is seen and what is tangible. Getting more stuff, attaining this or that, rather than the unseen spiritual being that is God, the creator of the universe, we idolize what we see and what we don't have. We're just, we just got to be honest about that. So how are we going to define idolatry for us today? How are we going to define this? How are we going to look at this? Since we're not truly, as I said, you know, on our knees, bowing down, worshiping an idol in a sense, what are we talking about? And I think this definition, I found this in a commentary, and I think that this really like nails it. And it's simple, but I think it puts everything in perspective, and it's this. Anything that replaces obedience to Jesus is idolatry. Anything that replaces obedience to Jesus. Now that should really kind of laser focus some things in your life, like right now. 
I know it does for me. According to Moses, the temptation to fall into idolatry and to pagan worship, he's telling them it can come from the least expected places and that each person needs to be on guard so that they don't fall into this sneaky attack. Here's what he says in verse five. Back to Deuteronomy 13. He says that that prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. So again, different cultural context at the time. Some actual things specific to Israel and the people in the moment. But the principle here, you must purge the evil from among you, is something that we need to really look at. That idea for us that we need to purge, we need to, we need to push aside, and we need to do whatever we have to do to remove the things that are potentially idolatry in our life. And if you look through these verses, he's talking about in verses one through five, he's saying idolatry could actually come from religious leaders, could come from religious leaders that are, that are among you. Verses six through 11 talks about how it might come from a family member. Maybe someone very close to you who you trust is, is pushing you or pulling you in the wrong way. And, and you end up worshiping at, at idols that you maybe didn't even think you were. Maybe from people who seem to be like-minded with you in your circles, but there are sneaky things that are getting in there that are pulling your attention and pulling your obedience from Jesus to your obedience to yourself. So Moses is essentially giving them the answers to an upcoming pop quiz. It's kind of what he's doing here. It's like saying, we, we, need, to, we need to look at these things. He tells them to expect temptation to come from where you least expect it. It's gonna come from where you least expect it. And this is true of all of us. It doesn't always come directly from pagans themselves. It's not somebody walking up with an idol and forcing you on your knees to worship this idol in that moment. No, 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 no. It could come from where you least expect it. And most of the time it manifests within ourself because we're replacing obedience to Jesus with obedience to self. And you know what? We blame Satan way too much. We blame Satan way too much. He is the enemy, no doubt. But so are we. We're sometimes the enemy of our own self. We are sinful. The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? And there is no cure, according to Scripture, except Jesus. Jesus is the, is the cure for our sinful heart. But you know what? That's not going to be complete until we're with him in heaven one day. And so what do we do about that here? See, the children of Israel, they, they were used to seeing crazy and miraculous things from God. Right Up until until this point, they're they're seeing all these amazing things. They're assuming that God always speaks in spectacular ways, that he's always going to show up with a pillar of fire or a pillar of clouds or part the Red Sea or manna from heaven or quail or water from a rock or, I mean, all kinds of amazing, spectacular things that they saw from God and God needed to do those things in those moments. But that was the exception, not the rule of how God was going to speak. 
And so more, Moses warns them that, that when you think this way, that when you think that only God is, God is only going to show up in these spectacular, huge, miraculous ways, that's going to lead you off the path. Because if, if uh, some crazy, miraculous event happens that contradicts God's word, well, then the children of Israel are told to not be deceived. And we need to think the same. We can't be deceived. We should not be deceived. You see, the standard is always God's word. The standard is always God's word. The same is true for us today. His word is still the standard. Opinions are opinions, but truth is truth. You can have your opinion, and that's fine, and I can have mine, but the truth of God's word is the truth of God's word. And if we believe that God's word is truth, then we need to treat it as such. So let me get kind of personal for a minute. But I'm, this is going to be a little squeamish because we need to talk about some things. We need to be honest about some things. And if the word of God says that we need to do what we got to do to purge the idolatry from our life, then we need to be honest with ourselves and where we're at. And so I'm going to ask you for the next few minutes to, to do that, to be honest and ask yourself, where is idolatry sneaking in? Where is idolatry sneaking in in your life? You're like, I, boy, I don't know. What about money? What about finances? Sometimes we worship at the bank because that's really what matters. Sometimes it's, it's possessions, it's stuff, it's the things that we want. There's nothing wrong with having things, but when we elevate those and those pull us away from obedience to Jesus, aren't we really worshiping there? Maybe it's addictions. And I know there's, there's more to it than, than just that. I get it. Sometimes those are deep and tough and, and, and we need help for sure. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's the, the things that we're seeing on social media, the influence that we're getting from social media that we're putting above the word of God. I'm gonna get brutally honest for a minute about a couple of things. And I don't think I'm doing my job as your pastor if I don't. What about our religion versus our relationship with Jesus? Where maybe the things that we stand for and the things that we say have more to do with, with actually the bondage that is religion as opposed to the relationship that we should have with Jesus. The idol of what we are against versus loving people like Jesus did and leaving room for the Holy Spirit to work in their life. Gracious sakes, I'm not saying we don't confront sin. We absolutely should. But sometimes we sin in the way that we confront sin because we think that we're better than someone else. And you're like, no, I don't. Well, you kind of do in the way that you're reacting and putting it on people. The word of God says how is that telling them that you love them and Jesus loves them? Because instead, we're worshiping at the idol of our religion. And Jesus came to abolish that. Here's a tough one. Our kids. You're like, whoa. Many parents, their idol is their kids and their kids' schedule. 
I mean, let's just call it what it is for a minute. What are we sacrificing by worshiping at the altar of extracurricular sports and activities? There needs to be a balance. Don't get me wrong. Extracurriculars and sports and stuff, those are great. Absolutely. But some of us are so dictated by those things that those are really the idol in our life. And I know that's hard to hear. What about the idol of self-worth? Social media falls into that one as well, right? How I appear to others. I'm worshiping at the idol of self-worth. I love Jesus so much, and I hope everybody loves this too. Right? I mean, we laugh at that, but it's, it, am I wrong? Here's another tough one. Politics. Ooh, he's going there. Listen, you're not a real Christian unless you fly the American flag and you vote R all the way down. Wow. Jesus wasn't an American, by the way. What about time? Everybody worships at the idol of time and their schedule. How, don't raise your hand. I'm sure there's a bunch of us who walked in today, had a conversation with somebody, and you're like, man, how you doing? And the answer is what? I'm so busy. <laughs> Tired. <laughs> I'm so busy. Right? Because we're worshiping at the idol of our schedule that we just can't fill enough of because there's never enough time. Because even if God gave you 26 hours a day, you would still want 28. You know what I mean? We're, time can be an idol for all of these things. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I find myself in some of these things just as much as the rest of us. So please don't think that I'm just standing here telling everybody what they're doing wrong. Gracious sakes, I've, I've found myself in all of these. Where is idolatry sneaking in? It's sneaking in on all of us in various places. But if we're not willing to look at it, we're not willing to maybe like pull the veil back a little bit and be honest with ourselves for a minute, we're gonna look back and find that we've really just been kind of worshiping ourselves and not Jesus the whole time. They can become objects of worship if we're not careful, if we're not calling them out. And listen, your first compromise becomes your new standard. That's a statement that I, I do my best to live by. I don't do great at it all the time, but it's true. Your first compromise becomes your new standard. What you allow is going to now be what your new standard is. And there's a level of balance for that as well, but are we putting that through the filter of Jesus in our life because that's the most important thing? So where are we compromising? Have we asked the Lord, have we asked the word of God that question? Not Facebook. Don't ask Facebook a question like that. You will so regret it. Paul saw it happening in the early church as well. And that's why he called it out in Romans chapter one. It says this, verse 21, he says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. I want you to watch the progression here. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them 
to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. This is Paul giving a warning to the church. He's like, this is where you're gonna go if you're not careful. If you don't make sure that idol worship, even in a, you know, in a broad sense, not even specifically like a thing to worship, but a thing that we've kind of gone through some stuff. And there's, there's plenty more. See, God wants us to confront the idolatry in our life, in us and around us, and so that we don't veer away from the truth. Not to be a cosmic bully, but because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. He said that he came to give us life and life to the fullest. And that means putting him front and center in all things. And so, you know, you could say that it's, it's wrong to be so grace-giving that we fail to confront harm and evil and sin and idolatry and that becomes compromise. But what I'm saying is that in our own life, because here's the thing, we become what we worship. Think about that for a minute. We become what we worship. It's why we should fix our eyes on Jesus because then we'll become what we worship. People left everything to follow him. The disciples, they left everything to follow him. They worshiped him and his truth and they became like him. They became disciples who made disciples, which is what we're supposed to be doing. It's to be disciples who make disciples. Listen, we might know Bible trivia. You might have knocked that out of the park, right? But are we applying biblical truths? Because that's the point. You might, have, you might have known every single answer to that. Great. Are we actually applying the truths of the Bible to that? Because the point of that quiz was exactly this point right now. It says in James, even the demons be, uh, believe, right? They, they know the Bible. You better believe it. We might be choosing to ignore the idolatry in our life because deep down we really don't in this or that we don't want God to be God in this part of my life. God, you can be part of my life in this part. On Sunday mornings right now here when we're singing Graves in the Gardens, yes, God, you are God in my life. But when I go home and when I'm doing blank, blank or this or that, I don't necessarily want you to be God in my life in that moment or in that time because we become what we worship. And if there is a God, and I believe there is, then we are required to submit to him and to his authority. But, but we have a problem with that today because we've allowed, personally, idolatry to sneak into our lives and that's why we treat the Bible as a buffet. But the Bible is not a buffet. The word of God is not a buffet. We can't just take a scoop of this and a scoop of that and a scoop of what we like and leave what we don't like. But that's what happens in the world today. I love how Mark Batterson, he's a pastor down in, D, in uh, D.C. area, he says this, you can't tell me you love Jesus if you don't love his word. Yikes. You can't tell me you love Jesus if you don't love his word. You're like, Jay, I don't do that. Jay, I don't do that. Here's when we do that. When we insist on our own way. That's when we do that. God, I, I believe in you, and so now... God, I'm telling you what I want you to do. <laughs> right? 
God, you better solve this problem. You better take care of this. You better take care of that. I'm naming it and claiming it. Okay, listen. Can I just say this as clearly as I can? He is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. You don't get to tell God what to do. And if we're going to root out the problem of idolatry, if we're gonna root that out in our lives within ourselves, which is where it needs to start, you can think about anybody else in your life. I don't want you to do that right now. That's not what God is, is saying. I, I want you to think about you for just a minute. If we're gonna root that out, we need to remember the truth of this statement a little more often, that he is God and that we are not. You know, Paul talks about what a new life in Christ is supposed to look like in Colossians 3. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I want you to look at and listen to these verses from the perspective of our worship and, and what we're talking about today and, and our obedience to God. And if, if we are followers of Jesus, if we are trying to be more like him every day, which is the goal, is to be more like Jesus every day, then he is our only object and our only person of worship. And so this passage is a little bit of a kick in the gut, but that's why I think it's important to read it often. So let's, let's read this here. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 10 says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. So another translation actually says since then, meaning like who you were versus who you are now. So you were, if you read chapter two, it's talking about who we were before Jesus. Now since then you have been raised with Christ to new life, right? Set your sights on the realities of heaven. This is where we should focus. This is where we should worship, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. You died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, with impurity, with lust, with evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. All of these things that he's listed, and I guarantee you all of these things cover all of us. <laughs> we can all find ourselves in all of these things. And this is why I think it's an important chapter because Paul doesn't pull any punches and I like that. He calls some things out. But all of these things replace obedience to Jesus, don't they? That's why he's calling them out because if we're to live in the newness of life that Jesus is calling us to live, then we need to be honest about where we are and we need to let idolatry, stop letting idolatry sneak into our lives and, and we need to do whatever we need to do to root it out. Jesus carried the penalty for our sins and I'm so thankful for that. Absolutely he has. However, there are still consequences for our sin. 
there are still consequences for all of the things that Paul listed here. There are consequences for our sins. When we let idolatry sneak into our life, we let those things go, right? And the consequences of sin, the consequences of evil, it, it messes up our relationships, our relationships with each other and our relationships with the Lord because it puts a block up. So what do we do? What do we know? We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 too. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We know where he is, we know who's in charge, and we know what we need to do is to keep our eyes on him in all things. And we need to be honest about some things in our life sometimes. And sometimes that's hard. But I'm grateful that as a church family, we can come together as a family and we can have the hard conversations and still love each other when we walk out the door. That's what a family does. We don't run from the hard conversations. In fact, we use those to bring us back together and to bring us closer to Jesus and to each other. I would rather have somebody that loves me tell me something tough than somebody who's just trying to kick me while I'm down. So here's my connection point for you. Because please know I love you and that's why I'm saying some difficult things today. Because Jesus loves us enough to tell us the difficult things. So here's the, here's the connection point, here's the question. Does your worship pass the test? As we define worship, something that you are completely dedicated to, right, being completely dedicated, does your worship pass the test? I don't think mine does all the time. I can get better at this. I need to do better at this. Have you tested your worship? Let me ask it that way. Is, is the idolatry that's maybe somewhere in your life that you didn't even maybe recognize as that, is that something that, that needs to be worked on a little bit? Maybe. I would, I would encourage you right now to just kind of take some time alone. Like, forget about the person that's by you. Just, just you and the Lord for a minute. Ask some hard questions. Ask some hard questions. Will you bow your heads and just pray for a minute as we go into this time of just prayer and just asking God to, to show us some things, some difficult things? The nation of Israel, they, they were warned that they'll soon face tests of idolatry and that sometimes they will come from the most unexpected places. Sometimes it's within their own circles. There may be some areas, some objects of worship in your life that have become idols and, and maybe you weren't really being honest with yourself or maybe you didn't even realize it because they've replaced your obedience to Jesus. What has replaced your obedience to Jesus? Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't know him. And you've tried all the things of the world. And as we sang earlier, they didn't, they didn't fill you. You give Jesus a try. 
He's the creator of all things and he loves you so much. He wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. Because this broken world, we can't fix on our own. We try with other things, but they just snap back. We need to repent. We need to turn to Jesus who came to this earth for you and for me to give us life and to make us into a new creation. And if you want to find out what it's like to be made into a new creation, I'd love nothing more than to talk with you, pray with you. We got people in yellow lanyards that would love to pray with you. You can certainly just come right down and, and find them. And the altar's always open. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you're willing to say the hard things. And Lord, I pray that all of us would take seriously this idea of rooting out maybe some things in our life that, that we've allowed to become idols and we didn't realize it because it's taken our focus off of you. It's, it's pulling us away from being obedient to you. And that's what we should do is, is to be obedient to you, to give you all the glory because of what you did for us. Lord, you, you came to this earth. You, you shed your blood for each and every one of us. You took the place of me and everyone so that we can know we're gonna be with you in heaven one day. And Father, I pray that you would move in powerful ways through this place, through each and every one of us. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, they've tried the things of this world and it doesn't work. It's just you. Help us, Lord. I pray that if there's just one here, one watching online that doesn't know you, Lord, that today might be the day of salvation for them. We love you and we praise you. It's all for you in Jesus' name.